Hello all, welcome to the Literacy Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 478, and today we'll be talking about Jerry from Adventure Time, Fiona and Cake. I'm GC13. And I'm David. Now, last week we discussed a quite scary world filled with vampires where the vampires had triumphed over the heroes and vampire hunters. That very episode came out on this day, Halloween, quite fitting, but as we are still recording on Halloween, I thought our current episode quite fitting. (laughs) It's skeletons all the way down in Jerry, where we finally get a Rick and Morty crossover. Oh, wait. No, I have my notes wrong. <laughs> we meet the Lich again, who has managed to eradicate all life in Ooh and, uh, well, probably the universe, I guess, with a snap at least twice as powerful as Thanos is. So, nice job. Uh, the Lich's Halloween wishes came true. I don't know if it would be twice as powerful because it didn't fade them away, it just turned them into skeletons. Although it did happen immediately, rather than over, like, 30 seconds or so, so tough to measure. Yeah, I noticed on the rewatch of, you know, Bimo obviously says in the episode, everyone just turned into skeletons one day. But uh, we get one frame from a VHS tape of the Ice King of him, you know, instantaneously turning into a skeleton. And I had to pause and look back at it, and I'm like, yep, it's, it's just one frame. I love that they put that in there to show uh, the Lich's plan. That was brilliant. Now, if this had taken place as like a plot point, I would have, you know, said, oh, that was so bogus. But just as a background feat of the Lich, that is terrifyingly powerful. (laughs) Yeah. And if this was another episode in the original run of Adventure Time, we would have seen this in a multiverse episode, but we would have only seen the one frame and we wouldn't have had the Lich's explanation for another five seasons. So. Yay, miniseries. <laughs> Background details immediately rewarded with verbal communication. <laughs> I just love the Lich, like, just about anywhere. Like, uh, I, I still remember his uh, speech to Finn back in the, the Cosmic Jail. But I just love the way he's written, the tone that he likes to establish, and then his voice acting is so good. And he's never been anything other than the worst, most evil threat ever, which uh, just his character profile from the original Adventure Time Bible is awesome, right? Like he is written to be the most serious threat, a complete opposite of, you know, delightful, fun, wacky kid show, the perfect villain. But it turns out that being the perfect villain comes with drawbacks. Apparently, Golb has no interest in his their scholars. So he's just been sitting on a pile of skull for, well, probably not actually that long if this universe takes place in roughly the same timeline as the Adventure Time timeline, right? Like if we just had videos of Ice King, this only happened in the past 10 years. Maybe Gulp would still come knocking. (laughs) Although maybe not because Gulp is Betty and Gulp is an interdimensional being. Yeah, Betty might not care. Do do you think there's only one Gulp? I think there's only one Gulp. Yeah. It just seems to fit. Golb kind of administers what's going on with all of the cosmic beings. Like, there's only one Prismo, so it uh, makes sense that there would only be one Golb. <laughs> yep. Many Bettys, though. Confusing. Yeah, that can get uh, that can get bananas. But I thought it was really interesting, uh, strange even, that the Ice King would put his crown in his kick drum and then just 
never bother taking it out. He's a crownless <laughs> ice king. And I was racking my brain. How did Fiona get it, right? And she's staring at the drum in that one scene. And it, it didn't come together for me on either rewatch. So nice <laughs> realizing that it, it was a through line from the, the flashback tape. When I watched it the first time, I, I saw her and I saw her look at it that I was surprised that she never retrieved it. And then, I'm like, oh, okay, they did that to surprise uh, the other character. So we would feel some of that surprise that they felt <laughs> is why they didn't actually show her physically taking it out. And I'm piecing it together now. He turns into a skeleton in that clip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why it's its final resting place. Duh. Wow, this yeah, uh, this miniseries is so cleanly, tightly written. <laughs> it's so nice. I guess that VHS was made over the course of a day, so it would make sense that he didn't uh, take it out, you know, while he's doing all of his other goofy stuff. It's not like he has to go a month without fighting Finn or anything. He <laughs> just, you know, while he's playing with the videotape. So I guess that makes sense. Very, very casual side note to this. I, I just kept staring at the sky, and it just hit me. Uh, are are those cloud skeletons in the sky? Is that what those shapes are? Is everything a skeleton? Like, what are those wisps? They just, they kind of look like mm. dead tree limbs. But then I thought, no way. Are they cloud bones? Anyway, food for thought. <laughs> mm. Well, there's not much food in a world where all life has been destroyed. No. Which, okay, real quick. There's a lot that we should say about Bimo in this episode who, yes, Bimo is still here. But just to talk about first, uh, so does this make Bimo officially not alive? And how do you feel about his comment that football disappeared some time ago? I was wondering about that. Like, is did the Lich kill football somehow? That That's the only interpretation I can get. <laughs> is, is football the living component of Bimo? Bimo still seems fine, though. But did he have a soul? I don't know. <laughs> what does it mean to be dead? <sighs> I mean, uh, the the universe will be inherited by the by any sentient robots that were out there at the time. Apparently, unless Bimo is even more special than that. Again, though, Bimo still being alive kind of hurts my idea of the clouds also left behind skeletons because clouds aren't alive. <laughs> but whatever the artistic choice was, you know, cool. I, this is this is the land of ooh. Like, <laughs> take nothing for granted uh, in that regard. They have an entire cloud kingdom. Could be the remains of cloud giants. Not the D&D kind. Right. <laughs> yeah, so Babimo's in this episode. Oh my god. Yes, poor <laughs> Bimo and and Princess Bubblegum. Can't forget that. Right, totally. Princess Bubblegum was totally in this episode. <laughs> oh, she, she can never find good help. Well, you're helpless without it, though. It is um, both delightful and just totally disturbing that Bimo does try to live his life with complete um normalcy and i don't know if he's in denial if he really can't see that there's no body around (laughs) that princess bubblegum is really gone be most perfectly content to just play the roles if needed be or just live in the fantasy that they're (laughs) still around i don't know he should have started his own bemo motel there's only one though and what happened to all the mo's anyway they were all sitting in that factory Couldn't he get some friends? Oh, well, I guess he's not exactly living after this episode because they can't leave anyone we love unscathed. Why is the Fiona and Cake miniseries about 
seeing us see our favorite people die. <laughs> like, why has everyone in that treehouse that we started with in season one of Adventure Time died in this season? Like, it's not cool. It's it's tough. Even even the dirty painting has has fallen even further. <laughs> I don't think I saw what happened to the 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 treehouse torn painting of a woman. What what happened to it? It's just like the canvas has fallen even further. At least that's what it looked like to me. Ah, yes, it's all fallen. I suppose. <laughs> Ooh, is a fallen world. Yes. I, I love the design aesthetic so much. I, I want to look at the treehouse again and see how much looks like bone and skeleton and compare to the clouds. I love the weird effect they had on the sun and moon, too. It's just sort of eternally this time of day. I don't remember it even changing, but there's also that weird sort of uh, teardrop shapes forming a whole flower lotus type shape around the sun. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. But when they went to the Ice King, I liked that they had the Ice Jutsu book. I, I thought that was just a nice nod. And then I looked, oh man, they had a whole bunch of ninja books from the Ice King's private <laughs> collection there. Yeah, I love the ninja callbacks. I, okay, but everything bagel. <laughs> was there a better parody to make of Everything Stays than whatever the hell Ice King was singing about in the day about everything bagel uh something about glaze on it it, it, it was amazing and then um, eating it on the floor or off of the floor i'll never get tired of ice king's marceline wig i mean it's sad ostensibly it's sad but it is funny i guess man i guess marceline died too just because she's undead doesn't mean she doesn't count as life <sighs> that's really annoying <laughs> what counts as life if vampires are undead uh we we don't know we didn't see the rest of this universe. It seems like he did eradicate literally all life, though. I'd love to know what a uh, little power up he gained, right? Like, in the regular series, he was really trying to get to stuff, you know? Get access to the Enchiridion, get access to the multiverse. Yeah, because, like, I can I can do ooh, but there's, like, a lot more out there. Uh, seems to be his general line of thinking. Like, he's he's got plans. Yeah. Like he's talking about spreading to every world uh, with uh, with the folks in the cosmic prison after he does his thing. Right. That begs the question. So obviously here it's very clear the Lich is a, uh, well, is a multi, there's multiple copies of him, right? He's more like a regular denizen of universes. Yeah. He's no Prismo. Like one, it kind of seemed like he only existed in the original Ooh universe. At one point, because it was a big deal that his hand got into the rest of the multiverse. So is this Lich the result of that? Like, maybe I shouldn't dig this deeply into the lore. (laughs) Mm. But I don't know if this Lich, you know, and the the result on this universe is one of those negative effects. I think there's just going to be a Lich in every single version of Ooh that kind of looks and feels like what we would expect Ooh to look like. Because Ooh was... Fundamentally created by the detonation of the mushroom bomb, which also created the lich. Yeah, that's right. The mushroom bomb creates the lich. There are multiple copies of the mushroom bomb. But the lich was also kind of revealed by the mushroom bomb because he refers to existing before time existed, when there were only monsters, like at the beginning of creation. 
Uh, he doesn't mention having been there. He just knows what was. Mm. I guess as a scholar of Golb, he found out. Okay, so he's just being scary. Okay, because those those flashbacks don't actually show him. Okay. Because, yeah, trying to piece together, obviously this episode makes us more aware of some of the hierarchy of gods that, you know, we only got a, a tiny hint of from Prismo in the original series. Yeah, we have Prismo with uh, Scrabby over him, Orbo over him, the boss over him. It's a, it's a complicated cosmic world. I, I don't know if we'll ever get to meet the boss, but we definitely saw their old school, well, I say rotary. We don't know if it's a rotary telephone, but at least the other end of what looks like a rotary telephone uh, with little angel wings painted on it. Curious. I loved Orbo, though. I, I, I would have accepted Orbo, a spherical version of a Sunstone from Steven Universe, being the god. I mean, works for me. See, I was thinking of just the sun from OKKO. Like, he looks and kind of has the same uh, vibe. <laughs> He's a cool dude, you know. A cob of corn is the god in that <laughs> universe, though, so, you know. <laughs> okay, KO already wins for god character. We can come back to this discussion later, once we get there, but I'm wondering if Golb is the boss, or if there's a separate character in between. Well, we'll get there. My one sentence is, nah, nah, he, he's all about, Golb's all about chaos. Or she now. Okay. okay. I, I, I mean, I feel like we never actually see Gulp directly interact with the universe. Like, Gulp seems to just sit in a black void. <laughs> and I don't know, somehow influence things rarely. But, uh, nah, I think that god... I mean, I don't even know if there's an ultimate god of this universe or whatever. Like, that might just be the boss of some of or the no. super powerful <laughs> beings. Yeah, you know? So, yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a complicated multiverse. Uh, the, there was a lot of romance in this episode, though. Uh, they they broke it up, but Simon kept coming back to telling his story of how he met and how he fell for Betty, and it's it's really sweet in this episode when when he's the one telling it. Like I, I like the way she just looks looks at him during the snake thing, and like she she's got that man. I really want to impress him, so I'm going to do this. <laughs> I mean that I. Oh my gosh, yeah. This uh, part one of their love story, the kind of official fleshing out of what were Simon and Betty. This was just awesome. I mean, first of all, I feel like I saw Simon as an actual romantic person for a second. You know, for the fact that his character has been based around catching princesses and that being based on some tragedy of some love lost. You know, I, I feel like I've never actually seen Simon as a person who would be in a relationship and even when Betty came in the show it's just like he was obsessed about her but we had had no sense of what they were and I don't know he has a whole scene in this episode where he's just like staring at her and they make the camera focus all soft and you're like oh he's cute that's nice (laughs) (laughs) and so you know nice job writers on that it's like Simon is this whole person and we see Betty's Flatly, her obsession with him, which is portrayed very straightforward here. It's not analyzed yet. And, you know, there's only a hint of that with Fiona saying, oh, did you jump on the bus with her after you, yeah. <laughs> you know, ran up to her? No, not quite. But I think this story plays it all 
plays it all straight. There's no unreliable narrator here, right? You, you see exactly how this went down. And it's it's a messiness that's reflected by real life, right? Like, I love this portrayal. There isn't just a meet cute and then they're in love forever. It's like, well, there's some problematic elements. The problematic elements don't add up to something horrible, but they add up to something worth reflecting on and considering what, you know, impact it's had, right? And that is, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we call nuance. And you love to see it. So <laughs> I, I love this, this love story. Like I said, they're adorable together. Yeah. Also, he's really an archaeologist. I love his presentation. I just, you know, it was such a weird detail when we first saw Simon Petrikov revealed in the backstory tapes. And he's like, I was searching for, you know, or this Scandinavian dock worker gave me this crown. And it's like, no, but what this guy really was, was he was a crackpot goof. I mean, he was right, and we don't know how he now, he's, knew things. He's not a crackpot. He, the artifacts that he thinks exist really do. Um, he's named some very, very good artifacts, especially the Enchiridion, a crucial one. And then uh, once, once Betty pointed out, um, hey, do you think this might be a clue? He's able to decipher it and say, oh, yeah, that must mean the Enchiridion is here. So he's he didn't just get lucky. He has a solid base of knowledge about real things. I, I, yes, he is higher than the Fairly Odd Parents Crocker, who is also right. Right. But right. And yeah, uh, kind of a lunatic. Uh, Simon's <laughs> not a lunatic, but I think he kind of has the same spirit as Betty. Where Betty's describing in this episode. He's definitely not a people person. No, he's not a people person, and he, he's going after things that, well, all the artifacts he shows, I think we've seen in the show. I, I definitely recall the, yep. the lamb, the creepy lamb. I See, that was the one I had forgotten. The armor is in a Chuskus episode, so how uh, could I forget? And then, of course, the Enchiridion, quite famous. The lamb is like, their souls get captured in it, and Ice King can see because he has magic Ooh. eyes, and his magic eyes are relevant. Oh. For something. I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe I'm just remembering an Aladdin episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Betty was going to dig to hell. Like, let's just make that clear. I don't know if that was accomplishable. She was a kid at the time. I don't think that's where, uh, you know, Abadir is, but... Oh, is that true? Was she describing being a child? Well, that's... Uh, I think so. She. They never say how old she was. Okay, no. That's... It, the way they're saying it, it sounds like it was a child story. Mm, except for the fact that she's obsessed with this guy who also has, at least to his colleagues, pretty unfounded ideas. Where he just says, hey, there's these mythical, he even calls them it himself, mythical artifacts that he's going to go find. And the Enchiridion is the only one he finds, besides the crown, that we ever know about. Well, I think the war might have disrupted his uh, career just a little bit. But... He is at least respected enough to be allowed to lecture at that college. He doesn't get much respect, but he's not so much of a crank that they don't want (laughs) their students exposed to him, you know? I would say community college or tenure, but I don't think he's old enough for tenure. Although he is old enough that there's a little bit of a suggestion of an age gap here. A little bit of the professor and student. Yeah, he definitely wouldn't have tenure if he hadn't published some peer-reviewed stuff, so... Right. Somewhere he's he's getting respect. He's still at the level of presenting slideshows that have explicit slides saying, uh... (laughs) What did it say? Like, please quiet down or something like that? Like, he's anticipating people... I think there was a settle down in there, yes. I was was gonna say, (laughs) he's given this lecture enough that he knows when people are gonna be 
giving him grief. Yes, especially the one. Guy I think who somebody throws throwing his... the book at him. <laughs> yep, I, I think that was uh, I think that was a surprise. Yeah, throwing throwing the notebook at his face. Perfect comedic timing. Um, what else to say, Jerry? I mean, the Lich is quite a presence. I, I love it anytime he gets to talk like that. You know, in the days of old, I would have repaid your insolence with death a thousand times. So good. It also sounds cool when he calls him Ice Wizard. It really uh, brings the weight of Evergreen and everything kind of back. So yeah, I love the Lich. I love his voice acting. I love the style of speaking that uh, his lines are written with. And I love that he has a new nickname. Uh, What was (laughs) Bimo's interaction with Jerry? That's what I want to know. Like, did Bimo actually visit the Lich and just casually talk at him all the time? (laughs) Those would be some fun uh, outtakes to see. Well, yeah, then then the Lich says uh, something snarky and Bimo interprets it as a joke. <laughs> I don't think the Lich even has snark in him. Like, it's all just grave, serious things. <laughs> well, yeah, but in a, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whenever he tells him to fall, Bimo just shouts, we. <laughs> All the way home. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> All right, shall we? Shall we go? Or was there more? No, just R.I.P. Bimo. I, I hope we see you in another Adventure Time episode. <laughs> <sighs> this cannot be how the story ends. No. I hope these uh, characters all get to meet from Fiona and Cake later. You know, the Martin, Bimo, and uh, Finn of the <laughs> of the farmland world. Like a Valhalla, but for the for the people slain during Fiona and Cake's quest. Yes, specifically. I feel like Orbo should do that. I mean, they're racking up enough of a body count to build one. <laughs> yes, definitely. Somebody, somebody should make a wish to Prismo for that. At least all those poor banana guards and Candy Kingdom citizens from. Ooh, yeah. Yikes. Man, now I just have questions about how many nidospheres and how many afterlifes there are. I mean, we literally saw the afterlife. Are there multiple fins there? Yeah, I, th- I think the nidosphere is uh, per per dimension. That's so weird. <laughs> I guess there are multiple huds and apodiers. Although, does... Oh, God. See, now more questions. I'm like, does Gary Fiona's world not have a nidosphere? Like, who's the huds and apodier there? But then again, we saw that the vampire king was casually marceline stand-in father in the last universe so ugh, it's all messy <laughs> again adoptive father hunson abdeer would have been her biological father who just is casually more absent than normal <laughs> yep and that's saying something anyway guys that's it for us on jerry join us next week until then i'm gc13 and i'm david and if you love wild, useless speculation as much as we do, then give us a review uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCeasefire.com. 